Good morning. Would you please pray with me? Oh, gracious Father, we're glad to be gathered with your people this day. Oh, God, our help in ages past, our hope for years to come. Father, we thank you for bringing us through 2023. Father, we look to you as we begin a new path around the sun. Oh, Father, would you keep us? Would you help us? Would you guide us? Father, would you help us to depend upon you? We ask you these things in Jesus' name. Amen. He that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. Happy New Year. You may recall in the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes, when Jesus says, Blessed, blessed, blessed. And you may recall that that can be translated happy. Happy, happy. So let me be the first to wish you a blessed New Year. Would you please open your Bibles to Galatians chapter 4? The epistle of St. Paul the Apostle to the saints at Galatia. Chapter 4. Our reading of the morning comes in the middle of Paul's argument for the supremacy of the gospel of grace. He's pleading with the Galatians not to return to the old now that the new has come. Do you remember, O foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you? Why would you go back to the old when the new has come? But embedded within his argument is a nugget, a jewel that explains the purpose of Christmas. Please stand with me for the reading of Holy Scripture. Galatians chapter 4. The apostle writes, Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, differeth nothing from a servant, though he be lord of all, but is under tutors and governors until the time appointed of the father. Even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because you were sons, God hath sent forth his spirit, the spirit of his son, into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Wherefore, thou art no more a servant, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of Holy Scripture. You may be seated. Well, our text for the morning is there in verses 4 and 5, where the great apostle explains, When the fullness of time was come... God sent forth his son made of a woman, 
made under the law to redeem them which were under the law that we might receive the adoption of sons. That phrase, fullness of time, is translated from the Greek, pleroma tau chronau. Pleroma means completed or fulfilled. And in chronau, you hear chronos, like chronology, a term of time. Well, listen, saints, this is predestinarian language. Predestination is a difficult and mysterious doctrine. And a person can say that he or she doesn't believe in divine predestination. But if she says that, if he says that, he's saying that he doesn't believe the doctrine of the apostles. Because it's clearly predestinarian language. I believe that St. Paul is teaching that God's sending of his son was chronologically orchestrated by the Father. So that the God who is over, above, outside of time, outside of the confines of time, had a plan, a preparation, a destiny, a predestination that involved chronology, ordered time, and at the appropriate time, when the appointed amount of time had expired or been fulfilled, precisely at that time, God sent his son into the world. Listen, what was that time? I'm not sure. Under the empire of the Romans, the known civilized world had been virtually united. Latin, the language of empire. Greek, the language of commerce and learning, was spoken by many maybe most. The Jews as a unit were still together in Moss under Roman domination. It was a very unique time in the history of the world. Jesus understood his coming as part of the Father's plan, even down, listen, even down to the timing of his own attendance at certain events. Listen to this passage from the fourth gospel. When Jesus addresses his unbelieving brothers, after this, Jesus went around in Galilee, purposely staying away from Judea because the Jews there were waiting to take his life. But when the Jewish feast of tabernacles was near, Jesus' brothers said to him, You ought to leave here and go to Judea so that your disciples may see the miracles that you do. No one who wants to become a public figure acts in secret. Since you're doing these things, show yourself to the world. For even his own brothers 
did not believe in him. Therefore, Jesus told them, the right time for me has not yet come. For you, any time is right. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify that what it does is evil. You go to the feast. I am not yet going up to the feast because for me, the right time has not yet come. John chapter 7, verses 1 through 8. And that's the New International Version. Beloved, listen. Jesus, Jesus coming to save his people from their sins is not God's plan B. It is no parenthesis. It's been his plan all along. From eternity past, whatever that means. And I don't understand. When the Almighty curses the serpent in Eden, he says, I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed, the woman's seed. It shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel. Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. That is the so-called proto-evangelion, first gospel. And Christians as early as Justin Martyr and the church father Irenaeus look back to that as a prophecy of the future coming of Jesus of Nazareth. The apostolic writer to the Hebrews remind us, quote, it is evident that our Lord sprang out of Judah. Hebrews 7.14. And listen, at the end of the beginning, at the end of the beginning, near the ending of Genesis, aged Israel summons his sons, and he says, Gather yourselves together, that I may tell you that which shall befall you in the last days. Genesis 49, verse 1. And old Jacob begins to prophesy blessings upon his sons. And when he comes to Judah, the tribe of our Savior, he says, Judah, thou art he whom thy brethren shall praise. Thy hand shall be in the neck of thine enemies. Thy father's children shall bow down before thee. Judah is a lion's whelp. From the prey, my son, thou art gone up. He stooped down. He couched as a lion, as an old lion. Who shall rouse him up? The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh come. And unto him shall the gathering of the people be. Genesis 49 verses 8 through 10. There at the end of the beginning. The scepter shall not depart until Shiloh comes, until peace comes. And unto him, did you see that? And unto him, did you see that? Peace is a person. Shiloh is a hymn. 
This is Jesus. Peace personified. And unto the Prince of Peace, unto him shall the gathering of the people be. Zerubbabel was born in captivity. He was born in Babylon. He was from the line of David in the lineage of our Lord. And he was allowed by Darius, the king of Persia, to complete the building of the second temple. And you remember, the second temple was not nearly so architecturally glorious as the first as Solomon's temple. And God sent prophets, Zechariah and Haggai, to encourage Zerubbabel because some of the old folks who had seen the glory of Solomon's temple, the glory and architectural beauty of that first temple, were discouraging Zerubbabel with their disparaging comparisons of those edifices. In a prophecy to Zerubbabel and the builders through Haggai, God says, I will shake all nations, and the desire of all nations shall come, and I will fill this house with glory, saith Yahweh of hosts. The silver is mine, and the gold is mine, saith the Lord of hosts. The glory of this latter house shall be greater than of the former, saith the Lord of hosts. And in this place will I give peace, saith the Lord of hosts. Haggai 2, verses 7 through 9. Malachi, whose prophecy is the last in our Old Testament, prophesied of a coming to this temple. Through Malachi, God spoke and said, Behold, I will send my messenger, and he shall prepare the way before me. And the Lord, whom you seek, shall suddenly come into his temple, even the messenger of the covenant, whom you delight in. Behold, he shall come, saith the Lord of hosts. Malachi 3, verse 1. Now listen, saints, how could Zerubbabel's temple possibly be more glorious than Solomon's temple? Well, beloved, listen. The son of David, Solomon, came to Solomon's temple. But who came to Zerubbabel's temple? Maybe you read this last week at Christmas time, but maybe you stopped before you got to it. Listen to Luke chapter 2, beginning at verse 21. And when eight days were accomplished for the circumcising of the child, his name was called Jesus, which was so named of the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the days of her purification, according to the law of Moses, were accomplished, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male that openeth the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, 
and to offer a sacrifice according to that which is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and the same man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Ghost was upon him. And it was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death, before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came by the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him after the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now let us thou thy servant depart in peace according to thy word. For mine eyes have seen thy salvation which thou hast prepared before the face of all people, a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. Who came to Zerubbabel's temple? Jesus the salvation of God. Jesus, the light of the world. Jesus, a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of Israel. Listen, as prophesied by Haggai, the coming of Jesus glorified Zerubbabel's temple. As prophesied by Malachi, the Lord, the messenger of the covenant, came. And when he saw him, old Simeon rejoiced. Take me, God. I've seen it now. I'm ready. When the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman. When the great apostle speaks of our Savior as being made or born of a woman, what is he teaching? Well, listen, we cannot have Paul contradicting Nicaea, can we? So made definitely does not mean created. And it seems to me that born is the better translation. The Greek is genome, which means to become, to appear in history, to receive being. Now, <clears throat> at Christmas we celebrate the incarnation the enfleshment of God, right? God the Father sent forth his only begotten Son. And listen, the means of this sending forth was a divine begetting. A son was conceived in the womb of the Blessed Virgin Mary. As the archangel Gabriel told Joseph, Fear not to take unto thee Mary, thy wife, 
For that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. For he shall save his people from their sins. Matthew 1, verses 20 and 21. God the Father in the heavenly realm sent forth his Son by the agency of the Holy Spirit, conceiving the man, Jesus, in the womb of the Blessed Virgin Mary. God in three persons. Blessed Trinity. Made of a woman or born of a woman means exactly what it sounds like. Listen, Jesus, God, is a human. He is flesh and bone and blood and passion. Just like you and me. God become flesh. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made. For us men and for our salvation, he came down from heaven by the power of the Holy Spirit. He became incarnate of the Virgin Mary and was made man. That's from Nicaea. And we are glad to associate ourselves with that. Aurelius Augustine, Saint Augustine, wrote this. Listen. Man's maker was made man, that he, the ruler of the stars, might nurse at his mother's breast, that the bread might hunger, that the fountain might thirst, that the light might sleep, the way be tired on his journey, that truth might be accused of false witness, that the teacher might be beaten with whips, that the foundation might be suspended on wood, that the strength might grow weak, that the healer might be wounded, that the life might die. Listen, friend, Jesus, the Son of God, is really fully divine God. And listen, friend, Jesus, the Son of Mary, is really fully human man. We confess Jesus as God, and we confess Jesus as man. And when intellect falters, we understand by faith. Hebrews 11.3
at precisely the right time, God sent forth His Son to be born to a woman in Bethlehem. And Paul says, the Son of God was born under the law. What is Paul getting at when he insists that Jesus, the Son of God, was born under the law? Well, he sure talks about that a lot. That phrase occurs a lot in Galatians 3 and 4 and back in Romans. And beloved, there are far better commentators than I. But I see this as Paul placing Jesus fully within the economy of the Old Covenant. Under the law. Jesus fulfilled the law. He fulfilled and completed the Old Covenant. But his birth, his entrance into the realm of men, his arrival upon earth was as a Jew. Born into the law covenant, endorsed at Sinai. Born subject to the Old Covenant. Born under the law. And listen, listen. When Jesus fulfilled all the law, every jot and tittle of it, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. 1 Corinthians 11, 23-25. You see, Jesus is the messenger of the covenant that Malachi had prophesied. And he was sent forth from his father under the law to redeem them that were under the law that we might receive the adoption of sons. And listen, when the messenger of the covenant had fulfilled the old covenant, he inaugurated a new covenant and he sealed the new covenant with his body and his blood. So Paul can now say, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord, Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him, in love having predestinated us to the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. Ephesians 1, verses 3 through 5. And he can say, you are all children of God by faith in Christ. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek 
There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you be Christ's, then are you Abraham's seed and heirs according to his promise. Galatians 3, 26 through 29. I hope you had a wonderful Christmas. And I hope you remembered that when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son made of a woman, made under the law to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. Deceived by subtle snares of hell, Adam, our head, our father, fell. When Satan in the serpent hid, proposed the fruit that God forbid, death was the threatening. Death began to take possession of the man. His unborn race received the wound and heavy curses smote the ground. But Satan found a worse reward. Thus saith the vengeance of the Lord. Let everlasting hatred be betwixt the woman's seed and thee. The woman's seed shall be my son. He shall destroy what thou hast done. Shall break thy head and only feel thy malice raging at his heel. He spake and bid 4,000 years roll on. At length, his son appears. Angels with joy descend to earth and sing the young Redeemer's birth. Lo, by the sons of hell, he dies. But as he hung twixt earth and skies, he gave their prince a fatal blow and triumph o'er the powers below. Please stand with me for prayer. Let us pray. O Holy Father, Lord God, teach me to know that grace precedes, accompanies, and follows my salvation. That it sustains the redeemed soul that not one link of its chain can ever break. From Calvary's cross, wave upon wave of grace reaches me deals with my sin, washes me clean, renews my heart, strengthens my will, draws out my affection, affection, kindles a flame in my soul, rules throughout my inner man, consecrates my every thought, word, and work, teaches me thy immeasurable love. Oh, how great are my privileges in Christ Jesus. Without him I stand afar off, a stranger, an outcast, but in him I draw near and touch his kingly scepter. 
Without him I dare not lift my guilty eyes, but in him I gaze upon my Father, God, and friend. Without him I hide my lips in trembling shame. In him I open my mouth in petition and praise. Without him all is wrath and consuming fire, but in him is all love and repose of soul. Without him is hell below me in eternal anguish. In him its gates are barred to me by his precious blood. Without him darkness spreads its horrors in front of me. And in him an eternity of glory is my boundless horizon. Without him, all within me is terror and dismay. But in him, every accusation is charmed into joy and peace. Without him, all things external call for my condemnation. But in him, all these things minister to my comfort and are to be enjoyed with thanksgiving. Oh, praise be to thee for thy great grace. And thank you for the unspeakable gift of Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.